0: Hi, neighbor. I'm not going to sing again. I'm not going to take off my shoes like I did last week. That was a silly joke. I shouldn't have done it. I did it. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day. Hi, neighbor. Um, so this week, I just want to give you a couple pictures that I saw, not, not actual pictures. I'm going to tell you a couple stories that, that I saw that um, were, were super powerful. I got a text from a friend from church um, this week, and she said, Matt, thanks for the nudge. I made some cookies and took them to a neighbor that I had never met, and I went over, knocked on the door. I met this lady whose father had, she has three kids, I think she said, and her father just died, and she moved back to Phoenix to take care of her mom, and this was my first time meeting her, and I would have never known that if I wouldn't have taken cookies and introduced myself, and I said, that's what neighboring is. That's exactly what God calls us to do is to get to know our actual physical neighbors, those who are near to us. I thought that was awesome. And then I was thinking, you know, some people, uh, neighbor, neighboring looks different where you live. And I hope we also take the idea that neighboring isn't just done in our neighborhoods, but it's also done in our places of business with your clients, uh, with your, your manager, with uh, the people that you work with every single day. And it's in our schools with our kids like neighboring happens there as well. And so my wife and I, both of our kids went to winter camp this weekend, that are, both of our kids that are in home, and our other one's off at college, and we were like, oh my goodness, we have an empty house. Let's leave it and go on a date uh, together. And so we went on a date night, and we went to um, Vincino's, Vincino's, Vincenzo's, I don't know. It was awesome. It, the food was great, but... We met um, the the server who was kind of taking care of us. Uh, She was awesome. She goes to church here. And um, she knew everyone. She's been working there for 11 years. And she knew everyone by name. And I sat there and watched her talk to almost everyone that came in. And I thought, that is neighboring. She takes an active interest. She knows their names. I think she actually told a couple of them when they left, I love you. Like, they're so close. They're friendships. And I was like, that's an unbelievable picture of what it means to neighbor well. When asked what the the greatest commandment was, Jesus said, love God with everything that you have. Love God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. Give God your complete attention. And the second is just like it. Like you cannot separate these two. Love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus said, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. And if we are followers of Jesus, we are compelled, like, it's not duty. We're compelled to love our neighbor as we have been loved by God. Look at this. For God so loved the world. You've heard this verse before. Most of us in this room have heard this verse. For God so loved the world... And we know the next line, that he gave his one and only son. But what I don't want us to miss is that God loved the world so much, his love was reflected in his physical presence in the world. God loved you so much, he wanted to be physically present with you and with me. The incarnation is a reflection of God's love. And our, what, what we're compelled to do is to be physically present with the people who are near to us. And listen, we live in a world that is pulling us apart and distracting us from relationship, which is the most important thing that we could ever pursue is relationship. And relationship with the people who are in our household, the relationship with the people who live next door and across the street, relationship with the people we do business with, relationship with our servers, relationship with everyone. It's the most important thing in the world. And we are being pulled apart and distracted, and we are learning. We are being discipled. Make no mistake, we are being discipled to hate one another. We are being discipled in that way. And and Jesus said the most important thing we can do is give God our attention, our affection, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and and to give ourselves, like God gave, to those that we're near, those who are all around us. And so what we want to do these two weeks, and I hope what we're being moved to to consider is, um, who is near to me, not just who is dear to me, but who is near to me, And how do I need to develop or or nurture a heart of compassion in order to love them the way that I've been loved by God? That's that's the challenge. I I was thinking this week that our neighbors, um, many of our neighbors, might not ever read the Bible. They'll probably never ask you a theological question, which is what most of us are scared about like, don't, please don't ask me anything that I can't answer theologically, and so we're nervous about those things. Most of our neighbors will never ask us anything about the Bible or theology or anything like that, but they will see us and the lives that we live. And my question for me, and I'm gonna share it with you too, is what does my neighboring say about what I value most? What, what does my neighboring say about what I believe? Like, what, what am I reflecting to those who are most near to me, which most days are, are my physical neighbors, the people that are right there. My family, then my neighbors, then my work. You know, the, the circles continue on and on. Then I open up the scriptures, which we should do. We, we should open up the Bible. know, just... Press that thing off. Open, that, open it up. And I go to James, and many of us rest in the idea that we have faith. We say we believe, and so we kind of rest in our Christianity. And then I read in James that um, faith by itself isn't enough. I told you we are going to do a little work today. Faith alone isn't enough unless it produces good deeds, unless it moves us to something. Are you with me? Unless faith is producing fruit, I mean, James says, I mean, the brother of Jesus, it is dead and useless. Now, that is convicting and challenging if we consider what it's saying. Does that make, are you, does that make sense? It's, con, it's convicting and challenging if we really take this passage of Scripture and let it sink in. And it says, That if we claim that we believe, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, yes, I'm a a follower of Jesus. I'm committed. I've committed my life to him. I've been baptized. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe there's a God. I believe he loves. If that faith doesn't in some way create in me something that is spilling out, and the Bible, a lot of times, one of the ways it's reflected is fruit of the Spirit. So love, joy, peace, patience, those things unless it's spilling out in some real way in the world around me, James says it's useless and it's dead. It's not even even an alive faith. And to me, that's convicting because it makes me me really consider the ways that I'm coming in and out of my driveway, the ways that I'm seeing the people around me. Okay, last week... um, this is, this is good news. I mean, this is good information for all of us to have. You ready for the good information? If you ever catch on fire, you should stop, drop, and roll. Yes, if you ever catch on fire. We all learned this when we were younger. If you ever catch on fire, you should stop, drop, and roll. It's super important, right? Um, and then last week I said, look, with your neighbors, it's important that you look, you listen, yeah, and you learn, right? This is, this is good for us. That when it comes to our neighbors and the people who are around us, it's good to look and see the people around us and then to actually listen to their stories, ask questions that will like, lead to stories to listen and to learn from different perspectives that we ourselves don't have. Super important. We've been saying this over the last couple years with all the, the, the racial tension in our world, um, some of the differences that we have and in, in ways that we understand the social uh, economies and all, all of that that it's important for us to to listen and learn from people who see it differently than us. Like, that's important for us. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't hold beliefs and convictions, but it does mean that we are standing in a certain spot and see things a certain way that have been shaped by our upbringing, and we might be missing something. We might not see a complete picture. And so listening and learning from people who are different than us, super important. And we can start with our neighbors. They're, They're right next to us. But I didn't think three was enough. Stop, drop, and roll. Look, listen, and learn. Okay? I thought we need one more step because James told us if, if it's just about saying we have faith, th- there's nothing there. So my next little line, and I used all S's to help you. S- <laughs> see? So I look, but th- then do I actually see? So I may glance, but do I see? Like I might when I'm driving by, like driving down my street, I live on Cinnabar. I know it's a crazy name, all the S's. It's a C actually, but Cinnabar, like, so I drive by and I, I look, but do I see the people who are there in the homes? So I see, and then do I do anything to respond to what I see? Do I serve? Do I share life? Do I do any of that? And I think those are good, three cha- those are three good challenges for us. Um, yes, to look, to listen, to learn, to, to see and then to take a step to serve and share my life with them. Could that help us neighbor well? Um, So I I think for me, and maybe for you, so often we read scriptures and we, we just wanna know, like what do I do to be a good Christian? What do I do? Like what do I need to do? sometimes, you know, there's the theological and theoretical, but, like, what do I do today? Like, what do I need to do to make God happy? Anybody? Like, I want to know, like, how do I pass the test? I want, if there is a heaven, I want to go there, and so give me the, the minimum. Like, what do, I, what do I need to do? And so the person, one of the ones who asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus responded, and, and you know, do this and you will live, he said, and the man said, okay, now can you define who my neighbor is? Now, come on. This is the question you and I have. If, if I need to love my neighbor, Jesus, I want to justify myself. This, it says the man wanted to justify his actions. This is what we often do. I want to justify myself. So can you define for me, can you give me an idea of who my neighbor is so I'll know exactly who to love and who I can ignore? Now, he didn't say it that way, but that's what he wanted to know. And I think that's what you want to know, and that's what I want to know too. Like, do I really have to love my neighbors, even the ones who, like, let the weeds grow up, even though the homeowners association tells them they've got to cut them and there's going to be a lien on their house, they just don't seem to care. And the 10 cars in the driveway that, you know, half of them work, are like, are they going to move those? And do I really have to love them? And what does that mean? And, like, who can I ignore? And who, like, who do I actually have to love? And so Jesus being the brilliant one that he was, tells a story. And you've heard the story. And one of the challenges of having heard the story is sometimes we miss the power of it. So I want to tell you the story and make a couple little comments as we go through. So Jesus tells him this story to answer the question. There was a Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And the reason it says down to Jericho is not because he was going south, but because it was literally from a higher elevation down to Jericho, and he was attacked by some bandits. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a dangerous road. It was 18 miles long, so about 18 miles to get from one to the other, and it dropped, I think, about 3,500 feet. So in elevation, that's a pretty significant drop, you know, 3,500 feet. So if you could Think about, like, an elevation that's dropping that quickly. It's a pretty dangerous and treacherous path, and it's not real wide and broad. So if you have ever hiked Sunrise, have you ever hiked Sunrise? And, like, coming down Sunrise, the, the mountain... Um, If you come down sunrise, you realize it's pretty tight. Not a ton of people can pass at the same time, and sometimes you got to get out of the way to let those who are going down get past before you get up. And So you can imagine that kind of road, and many robbers and what they call bandits would hide, and this is where they would attack people and steal and, and sometimes leave people for dead. And this is what happened to this man. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up, and they left him for dead beside the road. So it was a Jewish man, really important Jewish man who was traveling down. Are you with me? Okay, good. So by chance, a priest came along. This is where my profession gets a bad rap. But when the priest saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side and passed him. Now remember, pretty treacherous journey down the mountain. So when it says that he passed the other side... The idea that he passed to the other, like, six-lane highway, so he had to go, like, way around. That probably wasn't possible. It probably meant he just kind of skirted the man and went on his way. The priest, can you believe it? Ugh, I don't like that part of the story. Now, what's interesting about this, oh, the Levite is the second, and the Levite was was probably an assistant to the priest. Now, let me give you just some background on the priest thing. So priests in traditional Jewish culture would serve for two weeks at the temple in Jerusalem. They'd serve two weeks straight. And when they were done with those two weeks straight, they would take what was given to them. So their, their pay, which was usually tithes that came in from people. We're going to pass the plate here in a few minutes. And the tithes would come in. Usually it was grain and food and those sorts of things. There was some money, but it was mainly like uh, food and things like that. The priest, at the end of his two weeks, would take some of the grain and the food and the things that were given to him, and that would be his pay, and that's what he would take home to his family. So, this priest was probably traveling home from Jerusalem after serving for two weeks, and he probably had all of his pay his food, the money, those sorts of things. Um, I'm trying to make it sound a little bit better. And if If he touched someone who was dead or someone who died, it would make him unclean, as well as everything that he had with him, which meant he wouldn't be able to provide for his family. Man, that makes me feel a lot better. So he didn't just ignore the man, like he had some excuses, which is what we often do. Levite, same thing. Heading home, they both ignored him. Levite, actually, it says, you know, kind of stepped over the man. Okay. Okay. Then, oh, this is the other thing. So in Jewish culture, in Jewish society, there were priests. They were seen as up here. um, And then there were Levites who were the the assistants to the priests, and they were seen here. And then there was everybody else, the Jewish people down here. So just like our culture today, like pastors are up here. And then... (laughs) No, but in that culture, seriously, the priests were here, Levites, and then everybody else. And so when Jesus was telling this story, they were assuming that the next person to pass was going to be another Jewish person because that's the progression that's being made. Like There was a priest, and then there was a Levite, and then there was another Jewish person. In the Old Testament, when it talked about loving your neighbor, so many of the interpretations of that were to love the other Jewish people. That's who they saw as their neighbor. And here's where, I want us, here's where I want us to find some conviction, is that so often when we think about loving our neighbors, we're thinking about loving the people who are just like us. And this is where Jesus' story takes a radical turn and cuts the people in ways that they didn't anticipate coming. And Jesus says there was a despised Samaritan, the person that you hate and you can't stand, who you believe is on the outside of God's kingdom. He came by. And this despised Samaritan felt compassion. He used a word. Now, come on. there's. Oh, my gosh. I love the Bible. We should read it. Because <laughs> I love... So much, you keep reading it over and over, and you begin to realize this word compassion in the Old Testament, it's used in a way that expresses God's heart for all of us. And Jesus is tucking this word in there, I think, intentionally to show us that what the others who were supposed to be representing God failed to feel compassion, what God feels for all of us, This despised Samaritan felt that. He reflected God. The one that they thought was on the outside was the one who actually reflected who God is. I mean, unbelievable. He soothed his wounds with what he had, and he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And look what he did. He took care of him, and then he... The next day, he he handed the innkeeper some money, and he said, take care of this man, and if the bill runs higher, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. The Samaritan didn't just go over and feel compassion and bandage his wounds. He actually put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, paid for everything that he needed, and said, "If if it's more, I'll take care of it. And then Jesus ends with that, and he says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked? Now, this is another piece of Jesus' brilliance. So if you've you've trailed off, come back for just a minute. Here's here's what Jesus is doing that's just brilliant. So he's, he's like, talking to probably predominantly a, a Jewish crowd. And he's already, like, cut the priests and the Levites. They're already steaming mad. But for the rest of the Jewish people who thought they were going to be on the good side of the story, they actually now see themselves as the one who was left for dead. I'm the one who's left for dead. And Jesus turns the tables by saying, which of the three was a neighbor? They want to know, who's my neighbor? Jesus is turning the tables. He doesn't even actually answer their question. He says, which of these reflects what it means to be a neighbor? And the man answers this I find fascinating too. He couldn't even say the Samaritan because they hated the Samaritans. He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, yeah, now go and do the same. <laughs> Big ending, <laughs> boom. <laughs> the, one who, the one who showed mercy, okay, now, now go and do, this, this, do the same. And Jesus, in, in his subversive way, in his kind and gentle way, and I think Jesus was really kind and gentle with the ways that he did this, he, he answered the man's question, but he also confronted the true prejudice that lived within this person, this man. And I think that's what the story is to do for us as well. Like, we wanna know, well, who, who's my neighbor? And the answer is, whoever's close. Even if that person is really different than you. Even if that person you consider to be outside the bounds of God's love, or outside the kingdom itself. Like, even that person is your neighbor. Like, go be the kind of neighbor that that, that Samaritan was to the man who was left for dead convicting. N.T. Wright, I was reading just some other commentaries and I, I don't know um, that I've ever read this one before. N.T. Wright says this, no church, no Christian can remain content with easy definitions which allow us to watch most of the world half dead in the road. Like we can't, we can't ask these questions. In order to set up easy definitions or easy boundary markers for ourselves and then watch the rest of the world half dead and step around and ignore what's right in front of us. And, um, you know, I asked those big questions, that, that big question earlier, like which would you choose to fix? One of the challenges in our world today is we see so much pain and hatred, division, we, we see so much of that in the world, don't we? Because we have TVs, we have social media, we have, we have all of these things. Now, you got to be careful on what you believe and what you read and all that kind of stuff, but the, the fact is we just see so much, and I think one of the challenges is we become desensitized to it. It's over there, it's, it's far from us, and so like I can ignore it, I can see it, and I might feel bad for a little bit, but I can ignore it. Like, what's going on in the Ukraine right now? Like, I, can, I, I hear about it, I read it but we become desensitized to the reality that there, there are people like us, like going about our daily lives and now hear rockets and you know, gunfire and, and all of that all around them and they, they fear for their lives, right? I mean, and we become a little desensitized to it. And then, I mean, just to be transparent, I see it and I want to like, have compassion, but I'm like, what can I do? And I think God says, love your neighbor. That's what you can do. That you feel, compa- you, you, you develop that heart of compassion, you nurture it, you let me shape your heart, but then you do something that's right in front of you and you don't just stand on the, on the boundaries or you don't just pass by the road on the other side. You know, we work with, here in town, the Matthew House, one of our new ministry partners that is helping refugees who are being relocated to Phoenix. Like, we, we respond when we see something that's right in front of us. Harvest Compassion Center. You guys, the stack of diapers this morning, oh, my gosh, how awesome is that? Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. I don't know how many yet, but, like, you respond. You do something. You, you, you invite God to shape your heart, give you compassion. And I think when you do that, he'll nudge you to respond anyway. And And you know what? your way of responding might be different than mine. You might say, man, the the foster children in group homes, like that's something that God has placed on my heart, and I can't just sit by and let that happen. I can't walk by the other side of the road, so I'm going to respond to that. And others of you might say, it's Harvest Compassion Center here in town. Or some of you might say, it's the high schools. We have these at-risk students in our high schools, and I need, like, I got to do something about that. God is, like, putting something in my heart, and they need mentors at, teach one to lead one, and so maybe that's it for you. And, and we don't look at each other and go, why don't you do this like I'm doing this? This is what God, no, no. We each realize the beauty of God's love reflected in so many different ways. And that's what makes us the church. And that's how God begins to bring his kingdom about in the world around us. You're probably like, okay, Matt, enough conviction today. I want to walk us through a spiritual practice. And we don't do this very often, um, but I thought today would be a good day um, to walk through this. Uh, with, with what's going on in the world and what's right in front of our faces, I thought we would do an, an examine um, which will guide us. I'm going to guide us through five um, thoughts and questions. And we'll put a prayer on the screen that you can, you can walk through. Um, and ask God to do something within you. And we're going to start internally. So we're going to start looking at our hearts and our minds internally, and then we're going to move outward into our circles and then into our world. Does that make sense? Kind of. You'll, you'll pick it up. You'll pick it up as we go. Um, we, just so you know, we're connected um, in s- some different ways in that part of the world. Uh, Joe and I worked we went and, and worked with some, a group of young pastors in, uh, in Europe, in Switzerland, um, and we met a couple of pastors in the Ukraine. And so we're connected to them just by the relationship that we have with, with them. And uh, this week I reached out to one of them a, on social media, and he responded real quickly, but he's kind of been kind of quiet. I, I just can't imagine him thinking about his church and all that's going on there. and um, Joe, uh, years ago, went on a mission trip to Russia, and so we also have people that we love and a church that we're connected to in Russia. And those people there, you talk about tension. Like, how do you love on both sides? That's I mean, chasing the beauty. Like, how, how do you live in that tension of, of loving your enemy and those who hate you and those who bring about violence? And um, Jesus, hanging on the cross, this is how we do it. Jesus hanging on the cross with his enemies, those who had nailed him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Like Jesus was praying for them in the midst of losing his life. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um. Okay, so let's, let's walk through this practice together. Here's the first question, and then I'll let, it, let us sit with this just for a second. Where am I thankful for, or in my life, where am I in need of God's mercy and his grace? So just take a minute to consider. This might be a prayer for you. Where do you need God's grace? Where are you thankful for God's grace? Within yourself. As you think about your internal life, your heart and your mind, where am I indifferent or self-centered when it comes to those who are near me? So where are you lacking compassion? As a part of an examine, we look inward and then we begin to turn outward. And where in our neighborhood, in our business, in our school, where do I see things that I'm thankful for? Like who is near to you that you're just so thankful for? And in that same light, in your neighborhood, in your business, in your hobbies, in your school, ask God to to put someone, one person or one house on your heart that you need to see and serve in this next week. And then as that circle expands even further in the world at large, where do you see injustice? Where do you see pain? Division? Where do you see fear and where do you see hatred that is in desperate need of God's mercy and his grace? So, Father, we read read the words of Jesus. I pray that these words would not uh, give us simple categories with which we can justify ourselves or keep ourselves from the mess of the world. God, when we see war break out, even though it's on the other side of the globe, God, give us a heart of compassion. Help us to see people, your children, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. Help us to see people. And God, in that growing heart of compassion that you want to nurture within each one of us. God, I pray that we would not rest in a simple belief but that we would allow that belief to to flow out into good deeds. That that compassion would compel us to love others, even those who are very different. Those who believe differently, those who see differently, those who act differently. God, help us, help us to be a good neighbor to anyone who is near. Help us to look, to listen, to learn. Help us to see, to serve, to share life. God, most of all, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each and every day what we need. And God, help us to see that what you've given us is maybe exactly what someone else needs. Help us be willing to share that. Forgive us just as we forgive others. And God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. God, just as you recklessly pursued us, may we recklessly pursue those you put in front of us each and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.